0: So, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 58 as we continue our sermon series in the book of Psalms. If you're using those black Bibles and you want to help find it more quickly, Psalm 58 is found on page 446 in those black Pew Bibles. By a show of hands, anybody ever heard the name C.S. Lewis before? All right, if you're looking around, that was almost everyone. By a show of hands, have you all ever read C.S. Lewis before? Again, most of you? Did you know that C.S. Lewis wrote the following? In his book on the Psalms, reflecting on Psalms like Psalm 58 that we're about to read, Lewis says, there are some Psalms that have the spirit of hatred, which strikes us in the face like heat from a furnace's mouth. We must not either try to explain them away or to yield for one moment to the idea that because it comes in the Bible, all this vindictive hatred must somehow be good or pious. We should be wicked if we in any way condoned or approved it, end quote. Well, last week I popped the bubble of Jeremiah 29, 11. This week, we're taking C.S. Lewis in our sights. Not because this sermon's about C.S. Lewis, but because too many people think he is the gold standard of Christian literature. And friends, I like C.S. Lewis a lot. But he is dead wrong on this matter. Many Christians see that the Psalms, like the one I'm about to read for you, is second class spirituality and should not be read, studied, or applied to your Christian life. In other words, C.S. Lewis and others recommend just skipping over Psalm 58. Maybe you could mark it out, tear it out of your Bible. In the Church of England, they have a practice over the last hundreds of years of reading all 150 psalms during a month of the year. In recent decades, those Christians have put brackets around some of the more uncomfortable psalms, like Psalm 58. Or in the Roman Catholic tradition, monks who have been encouraged to read and reread and meditate and recite the psalms have left these psalms out because they are awkward and embarrassing. So in case you've never heard or read Psalm 58, let's start there. Follow along as I read what some people think shouldn't be read. Crazy, huh? Psalm 58. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a mictom of David. Do you indeed decree what is right? You gods, do you judge the children of man uprightly? No. In your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hand, your hands deal out violence on earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb; they go astray from birth, speaking lies; they have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear. So that it does not hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims at his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of full thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely There is a God who judges on earth. And thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. I pray he will even write this truth on your heart as we unpack Psalm 58. Before I give you the big idea, let's just do that real quick. Let's make sure you all understood what I just read to you. Considering this is more than likely not on your kitchen wall. Christian artwork typically does not include Psalm 58. First, our psalm begins with a question. And let me sum it up. If you look down at verses 1 and 2, you could sum it up this way. Do the rulers of the world know what is right and wrong? That's the question. Do they know? Do they know how to judge what's right and wrong? The answer is the second part of the psalm. Nope, they don't. Their hearts and their hands are unjust and violent. They're wicked from the time they were born in their mother's womb and they speak lies from the moment they exited their mother's womb. They're poisonous snakes. They're like deaf snakes that don't listen even to the world's greatest charmers. Question, do the gods and rulers of the world know right and wrong? Answer, no they don't. So then third section. Starting in verse 6, notice a prayer request. How might we sum up this prayer request? I'd sum it up this way. Take away their power and then take them away. Take away their power. What do I mean? Break their teeth, tear out their fangs. And he uses the imagery of lions and snakes in this psalm. So if you're a snake or a lion, that's your source of power and strength. And he's saying, crush their teeth. Poetically, he's saying, take away their power. Or notice the language of the arrow. When they shoot their arrow, may it just bounce right off them. No power. But don't just take away their power. Take them away. May they evaporate like water in the dry desert sun. May they be like a snail's slime that dissolves. May they be like a stillborn child. In other words, what's that? I wish they never lived. It would be better if they never existed. And then, sweep them away. This last line in verse 8, or sorry, that is, in verse 9, sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze. I think it's basically saying that before the cooking pot has time to heat, by the Thorns and thistles that would be used underneath of it to make it hot. Before you can even get the fire going, sweep them away. That's the prayer request. The answer to the prayer is the last two verses. The righteous will rejoice when they see the vengeance of God's victory over evil, which will include the judgment of the unjust. And notice the way this is described. This is not for the faint of heart. Today was a great day for the children to remain children. I mean, this is the Bible. Vengeance will look like what, Pastor Phil? Like bathing your feet in the blood of the wicked. This is graphic, isn't it? This either means the righteous person will wash their feet because they're so drenched in blood that after the battle is over and they're victorious because, you know, if you're the one doing the cleaning up afterwards, then that means you're alive. So the washing is referring to, I've been in a battle and I won. So washing my feet from the blood that's on them. Or, this is a very stock kind of common phrase or image in this ancient world that the Bible was written in that talks about the righteous, victorious person walking through the battlefield after the battle is over and the blood is so deep that the victor is essentially washing their feet with the blood as it rises up to their knees. Just kind of trudging through blood. That's our psalm. A question that's given an immediate answer. No. The rulers of the world do not know what is right and wrong. So the prayer is that their power would be taken away and that they would vanish? The answer to that prayer the Lord will do it. Any of you feeling like, I still like C.S. Lewis? I'm with him on the Psalms. Well, here's your big idea I'm not with C.S. Lewis. Not on this point. Do not skip Psalm 58 because it will, if you let it, reorder. Your feelings, especially about injustice, by the truth of the God who is just. One sentence summarize today's message and the point of Psalm 58. Don't skip it, don't rip it out of your Bible, don't follow the trajectory of what C.S. Lewis is saying. Use Psalm 58. Because it will, if you allow it, reorder those feelings in your heart. When you view in this broken and cursed and sin world, injustice, stuff starts happening inside of you. You are made as image bearers of God. And when you see those atrocities, you feel something. Well, this psalm helps order those feelings with the truth of the justice of God. So let's just take this into two simple parts. I want to first make the argument, you should use this psalm, don't skip it. And then I want to conclude with a lot of application for how we can use it. How this could be helpful for you. First, we should not skip Psalm 58. Now we could just quickly just say, the writer Paul in the New Testament says that all scripture, including Psalm 58, is profitable for correction and training in righteousness. Done. Settled. Moving on, point two. All scripture, including Psalm 58, is profitable for correction and instruction and training in righteousness. And he did not put a little footnote caveat, by the way, except for the imprecatory psalms like Psalm 58, which is the category of psalm that we find ourselves today. Imprecatory is just a fancy word for a cursing psalm a psalm that prays curses. Did you, did you catch that in our psalm? It's praying and pronouncing judgment on the wicked. Embassy Church is not a church that Scott McKnight in his recent book Blue Parakeet suggests Christians pick and choose scriptures. I would like to definitively say I disagree with Scott McKnight as well. Scott McKnight is a teacher here in the Chicagoland area, and he's a prominent New Testament theologian, and he argues in the Blue Parakeet book, which has made its rounds. Some of you may have never heard of it, and I'm kind of hoping after today's sermon, you'll never want to read it. He argues that Christians, and sometimes this might be true, we treat the Bible like a pick and choose what I want to believe or not believe, what I want to apply and not apply. I don't want us to be that kind of church. We go through books of the Bible because we believe that Psalm 58 is, in fact, profitable. And so, here we are today. Friend, if you're a guest or visitor, I just want you to know that typically, Psalm 58 isn't the standard diet of the Psalms or the Bible every single week. But we're being transparent. This is the Bible. We're not making excuses, and I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm going to hopefully encourage you to use it. Be transformed by it. Reorder your life around it. So, I hope, just as a a quick little pause at this point of not skipping over Psalm 58, so many of you are just encouraged and, in fact, are here today. Not because of, and then you could just fill in the blank, of all the reasons to come to church on a Sunday. But one of the central reasons is that we know we want to hear from God. This week, I mentioned in our prayer, it's election week oh, it's time to pause the sermon series and let's do a whole political message about how you should vote this week. Aren't you so glad that that's not the agenda today? Amen, yes, thank you. So yes, all scripture is profitable and we work through books of the Bible and just systematically, step by step, take scripture and really try and mine all that it is for us. And we're doing that here. So we're not skipping over it. The second thing I want to point out regarding not skipping over it is Psalm 58 Even though it's in this small selection of what we call imprecatory curse psalms, it's not unique. Which sermon are we on in this sermon series? What's the handout say? This is the 58th psalm in the sermon series. Meaning, we did not just get started this week. and You've actually been hearing a sprinkling of cursing imprecations throughout this sermon series. I'm not going to go through all of them. But just as a quick little sample, Psalm 2. Verses 9 to 12 say, The anointed Messiah, the Christ, will break the nations and rulers of this world with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish In the way for his wrath is quickly kindled and blessed are all who take refuge in him the Christ the son that was the psalm that began the sermon series psalm 1 and 2 i argued are to be read together as the two doors for the theme throughout the whole Psalter so we should not be surprised to find that this idea of God's wrath being judged and and him being the judge is spread through. In fact, it shows up in Psalm 3. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you will strike my enemies on the cheek and you will break the teeth of the wicked. Oh, isn't that what we just read in Psalm 58? Break the teeth of the wicked? Apparently, that's not the first time you've come across that phrase in our sermon series. Or let's go to Psalm 5, verse 10. Make the guilty bear their guilt, O God, and let them fall down by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. Do you guys realize we're only up to Psalm 5 and I could keep going and going and going? What's the point? Psalm 58 is not a psalm to skip over because it's just weird in the collection of the Psalms. It actually typifies one of the main themes of the psalms, which is that God will judge the nations through his son, the anointed Christ. If we skip this psalm or any other psalm that has a little curse in it, we will skip not just five or six imprecations, we will skip 27% of the psalms. 41 different psalms have a phrase that's similar to our psalm about God bring down judgment you got to get rid of 41 psalms if you're going to do that. I say we don't do that. We've not been doing it so far. Now is not the time to start. All right, third and final reason why you should not skip this psalm. Some of you might be thinking, yeah, but all of your reasons so far are mostly that, like, the Old Testament talks this way. But in the New Testament, Jesus says, love your enemies. In the New Testament, Jesus says that we should be like him who hangs on a cross and says, Father, forgive them, not praise down curses. We should be more like Jesus. Well, that same Jesus that said, love your enemies in Matthew chapter 5, he says in Matthew chapter 7, the same sermon, actually, in the Sermon on the Mount. Beware of false prophets, those who come in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You're going to recognize them by their fruits. Aren't grapes gathered together from Thorn bushes, or are grapes gathered together from thorn bushes, or figs gathered from thistles? So it is with every tree that bears good fruit, or a diseased tree that bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and then thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus' command to love your enemies about you not taking personal vengeance is different from the command to recognize the rulers in the church, in the covenant community, or in the world that outwardly look a certain way but are wicked. And it is all the right and wise, good, Christian application of God's word and following Jesus for you to take heed to his warning. In fact, isn't it Jesus himself as Ryan read for us As he's in the temple right before he dies, starts just laying out curses, imprecations. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are the ones shutting the kingdom of heaven in the face of people. Woe to you, you're a bunch of blind guides, you tithe your mint and your dill and your cumin, but you neglect the more weighty matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You're like a whitewashed tomb. You outwardly appear beautiful, but you're full of dead people's bones and you are unclean. You serpents. You brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? End quote. That was Jesus. So if we're going to say, well, we're New Covenant, New Testament Christians. We follow Jesus, our Lord and Savior. He became the incarnate God. God. And as God, he judged, and he judged wickedness and injustice, and he did it in that incredible scene when he turned over tables, and the money changers' money starts rattling all over the temple floor, and he says, you have made my house of prayer into a den of thieves and robbers. That's who he's talking to in that story, or or the story that Ryan read for us, Mark chapter 12. On the one hand, we could say, wow, look at the generosity of that woman. She gave everything she had. She was poor. She was a widow. No income stream. And she generously and self-sacrificially gave to the work of God. But in another sense, we should say, whoa, look at the injustice of these men not helping that widow. Look at the way that they did not actually come aside her but are freeloading off of the backs of women like that. It sounds to me like prosperity preachers in the everyday world. Do you realize that so many of the people that give to those prosperity preachers on TV are, are poor old widows? Living, living on hardly any kind of income but giving their last little bits and hoping that God will help them with some sort of rich blessing, healing trusting in these wicked men you see Jesus he's not special just because he's God he is our example to follow and that's why Paul says in Galatians 1.8 the church should accursed anyone who preaches a false gospel Embassy Church you can curse anyone who comes in here and steps to this microphone and preaches that you're saved by your good works curse you don't put up with that no Sit down. Get out. Did you care about the purity of the gospel that you collectively would remove me if I went stray and started talking about prosperity preaching? I hope so. Care about what God cares about. Rebuke the sorcerer like Simon. Peter did. Read Acts chapter 8 verse 20. Or be like the martyred soul in Revelation chapter 6 who cries out, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood and all who dwell on the earth? Whether it's Jesus himself, Paul, Peter, or the martyrs in the book of Revelation, Psalm 58's for us. Let's not skip over it. So what do we do with it? Now that we know we're not skipping over it, what should we do? Let's just have a few simple applications. I said in the big idea that if we're not skipping over this psalm, then the main thing we should do with it is let it reorder our feelings about injustice with the truth of God, the truth about God who is just. So let's just first begin with that question. Do do you ever feel angry about anything? Some of you in this room, you'd be like, yeah, I actually struggle with anger problems a lot. Whether you struggle with it a lot or a little bit, your anger is an indication of whether or not your heart is rightly ordered to the truth of God. So every time you get angry, that is a window into what you really believe and think about the world. So if you get angry a lot about personal offenses done against you and that you've got this self-righteousness that demands justice now, it could be that your anger needs to be reordered. That it's self-centered you know my wife and i when we were first married we were realizing how often in marriage our anger is about i feel like you are treating me unfairly you misrepresented me you didn't say that the right way no no that's not what i meant and therefore i'm starting to get really angry and then there's times where we would ask ourselves sometimes privately but sometimes in conversation are we really getting angry over the glory of God and the truth about what God cares about, or is this really all about you, Phil? I just confess, a lot of times it was because of my inability to want to be a servant and be inconvenienced. And I felt like that wasn't fair. And then I'd be reminded that God called me to lead through service. So examine your anger And ask yourself, are you actually angry about what's right and wrong based on God's word? Or as our question in verses 1 and 2 say, do you indeed decree what is right? Do you judge uprightly? Phil, do you know what's right and wrong? Or are you getting angry about something that's not in line with scripture? So I encourage you to use every time you get angry as an opportunity. Now that could be pretty exhausting if you did every single time, but in general, as a rule of thumb, if we care about being Christ followers, we're going to examine our anger with a trusted friend, pastor, counselor, a member of this church, and examine whether or not it is based on the definition of right and wrong that comes from God's word, or our own sense of right and wrong based on the way we were raised, based on our culture, based on our own political opinions, And if you sense that your answer is no, I am angry because this is true according to God's word. Then use Psalm 58. Use the basic principles of it. Reorder yourself around the truth about the God who is just. If not, then repent. It's either one or the other. You're angry. And either you need to repent of that anger and the reason for that self-righteousness of demanding your way, or you have a right to be angry. The Bible commands, be angry, but don't sin in your anger. God God declares in the most repeated passage in the Old Testament that he is slow to anger, meaning he gets angry, but he has a very short fuse. The actual literal description is he has a short nose. It takes a long time if you have a long nose, unlike Pinocchio. Sorry, sorry, I've so messed that up. He has a long nose, not a short nose. The short nose is the metaphor for saying that he would be quick and hot to get angry. His nose gets red really fast. But if he has a long nose, then he's slow to anger. So next time you picture God, picture Pinocchio. Not literally, but the idea. His long nose is a demonstration of him being slow to anger. So, God gets angry. You're allowed to get angry. And when you do, it should be about what's right and wrong, just and unjust. And take our last two verses. Rejoice. This psalm takes the opening angry question about injustice. I mean, if you read this psalm and you think that this psalmist, David, is kind of impassionate, you know, like, I don't really care, then you've just not read the psalm carefully. Why else would he use such vivid, strong, metaphorical language but to tell you, I am angry? Rulers of the earth, do you understand what's right and wrong? No, you don't. And David, more than likely, in this collection of psalms, is being chased after one of those rulers of the earth, Saul. He's running for his life. We're not talking about some sort of like he's looking kind of as a theoretical professor in a, in a classroom. Let's think about the theory of evil. He is experiencing the evil in the world as he's being chased. And a man wants him killed. And he is asking not just any ruler of the world, But the ruler that's on the current throne of Israel right now, he doesn't know what's right and wrong. And so I'm praying, God, that you would get rid of him and take away his power. But notice that the way that that anger is transformed by the end of our psalm with the righteous will rejoice when they see God's vengeance. You start with anger, You present it before the Lord, the one who is just and the judge. And by the end of that psalm, by the end of this process, there's joy. Do you see how I'm telling you in the big idea that Psalm 58 can be a recipe for your anger, even righteous anger, to produce joy, to be reordered in your heart? Being just hot with anger all the time is not the way that we're called to live, even if it's about injustices in this world. So rejoice! The Bible is encouraging and commanding all throughout Scripture to rejoice, and the righteous will rejoice when they see God's vengeance. As he bathes his feet in the blood of the wicked. Brothers and sisters, as New Testament Christians, do you rejoice in knowing that the God who sits on the throne is a reward? The righteous will receive a reward, verse 11 says. Surely, there is a reward for the righteous. What's the reward? Answer? The God who judges on, or you, this preposition could be on the earth or in the earth. And that's when I just realized, ah, oh, Our psalm is really ultimately about Jesus Christ. The reward of the righteous, the one who wants God's justice on the earth, they will receive their reward when they see vengeance executed in the person of Jesus Christ. When God sends his son into the world, not only to condemn it and judge it, as John chapter 3 verse 17 says, but to save it but he doesn't have to pick and choose. He's able to save and judge because the judge became judged in Jesus Christ. When Jesus turned over those tables, when he cursed the Pharisees and said, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, do you know what they did? They acted just like Psalm 58. They sunk their teeth into him. They pulled back their arrow. And they let go. Their sharp arrow pierced his side, his hands, and his feet. And the Son of God, who represents the justice and judgment of God, was judged for you and me. And his feet were dripping with blood. But not the blood of the wicked. The blood of the righteous sinner. The righteous one, the one who knew no sin, who became sin for us. That was the blood that was dripping from the feet of the God of the universe. How in the world can you use Psalm 58? Because you know that the God of the Bible doesn't just sit above the heavens smug with his arms crossed. And says, obey me or you shall perish. He does say that, but he doesn't do it like this he says obey me or you will perish i am the holy and righteous judge and i made you in my image you're to reflect my glory and beauty my love and my grace my slowness to anger but as we find out these rulers they're no different than you and me all of us have sinned psalm 58 even tells us that kind of with a subtle riddle look down at me with me at verse two. Sorry, verse one. Do you judge the children of man uprightly? The phrase there is the sons of Adam. He's referencing the sons of Adam. Do you rightly judge humans? Adam and Eve are now being echoing in your mind as you read the first verse. And then should we be surprised to see that when he talks about these wicked people, what does he call them? Snakes, serpents. I really think that Psalm 58 is actually telling you the whole story of the Bible in one sense. The God of the Bible created us as humans to rightly know what is good and bad. We're to reflect that ability to judge over the earth, in the earth. But we just like these rulers, sons of Adam, Like Cain, we became serpents, seeds of the serpent, descendants of the wicked one, the liar, and the God of this age has blinded you and me and every one of us who, just like these people, were born into sin. Isn't that what it says in verse 3? Estranged from the womb. From the very moment you came out of your mother's body, you speak lies because your father is the father of lies. And so we are just like Cain and his children and their children's children, seeds of the serpent. That's why Jesus gets up before the temple and says, Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. You are a brood of vipers, you're a bunch of snakes. He's referring to Genesis chapter 3. God promises in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that there's going to be two kinds of people in the world. There's going to be his people who come from the seed of the woman, and then there'll be the seeds of the serpent. There will be the people of God, and there'll be the enemies of God. Sadly, the story of the Bible says that the people of God became the enemies of God. That's why Ephesians chapter 2 says all of us are enemies, by nature, children of God's wrath. God has from the throne judged us and he said we're no better than Cain we're no better than the Psalm 58 rulers we're supposed to be image bearers that rule over the heavens and the earth especially the earth part and we do a poor job we don't know what's right and wrong but God in his grace sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins so that his just punishment would bear the weight of God's wrath And it would be the victory that then, with those bloody feet, would become the sign of the one who is victorious over heaven and earth, sin, Satan, and death. And he showed that by three days later, after he was dead, he rose again from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. This is why Ephesians 1 says that he is above all powers and rulers and principalities, all the gods, lowercase g, as verse 1 says, all the rulers of heaven and on earth, all governors, princes, princes, princesses, Anybody that's in a position of authority, they submit to King Jesus, the ruler, the righteous one. And he knows ultimately what's right and wrong, and he from heaven sends his spirit down onto the earth to change your heart, your angry heart, to love what God loves and hate what God hates and be angry about the things that you should be angry about. When you hear of war in the news an un. Justice, child trafficking, slavery, exploitation, corrupt billionaires getting richer and richer on the backs of slaves. Does that ever make you hot? Get angry? How about when you look in the United States of America, not just the global world, do you ever just think, we've got a lot of injustice here? Or let's not just look outside the church. As Christians, we can easily turn the mirror and say, who are the rulers ruling the church? Who are the pastors and preachers that are abusing little boys and girls? How many more stories about priests and pastors do we have to hear about sexual abuse? Messing with the church's finances. Again and again, this is not about, they're bad out there. We're so righteous in here. All of us stand before the judge condemned in this sense. But we have hope because the one who was innocent, the one who is the true son of Adam, the God-man, Jesus Christ, became our victor. And in fact, the book of Revelation closes out the whole Bible just that way. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. Hallelujah. Rejoice because of the justice of God's judgment. And in fact, the book of Revelation picks up our image from Psalm 58 and says this. And so then that angel from the Lord swung his sickle across the earth and he gathered the grape harvest of the earth. And then he threw that into a great winepress, and it was the winepress of God's wrath. And the winepress was trodden outside of the city, and the blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle. And it did that for miles and miles. And then John says, I saw heaven opened, and behold, I saw a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like that of a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. His clothes are dipped in a robe that is dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God and the armies of heaven. He's arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, and following him on white horses from his mouth comes a sharp sword which strikes down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury like the wrath of God the Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name that is written the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you read the rest of the story you realize Psalm 58 becomes true precisely in the just judgment of Christ's return. He came first to save sinners and then he comes again to judge sinners. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, then you need to know that the God of the Bible will judge you. So there will be no refuge from the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But you need to know this. Psalm 2 and Psalm 58 and Revelation 19, the Bible screams There is refuge found in the Son. There will be none from the Son. All will be accountable before the Lord of lords, the King of kings. The only refuge is found in him, in the shadow of his wings, as Psalm 57 says. Come, bow before him and humble yourself now, sinner. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, do it again. Not as if, like, you're getting saved again. I mean, maybe in a sense. But recommit right now your life to saying, I am a sinner that needs Jesus, my Savior. And as wicked as I am, I'm no better than these Psalm 58 gods and rulers. From the time I've been born till now. But I am, in Jesus Christ, made new. And my heart can be transformed from anger to rejoicing. And I think Psalm 58 is one way that that could happen. So let's use it. Let's not skip it. Maybe memorize it. Study it. Apply it in conversations this week in your community groups. Let's pray for the Lord's help in that, even now. Our Heavenly Father, we want to humbly and... Soberingly bow before your throne of grace. We admit and confess Psalm 58, for many of us, it feels inappropriate, awkward. But we want to pray that your spirit will use the teaching of your word to realign what shouldn't be awkward. We want to pray that as we conclude this service and we consider the blood of Jesus washing over all of our sins, that we would be so humbled, so laid low before the cross, with empty hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. So, Lord, we pray that there would be just an overwhelming joy, as our psalm points to, rejoicing that we already have seen in the person of Jesus the way you work vengeance, the way you crush the enemy, the way you remove their power and wipe them off the face of the earth. Thank you, Lord, for the clarity of your word and the profitability of your word, every bit of it. May we not pick and choose any of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have the Lord's Supper elements. On your way in, you should have received the bread and the cup. And for hopefully the majority of you, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have repented of your sins, you have put your faith fully in the God who has been willing to be judged for you, substituting Himself in your place. This is what we call the gospel, the good news that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, was buried, and then on the third day, he rose again from the dead, and he now reigns as our Lord and Savior and King. If you believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would encourage you to prepare yourself to receive the element of the bread and the cup. And in just a moment, I'm going to read for you 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And walk us through this ritual of remembrance. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you clearly know yourself to not repent of sin and trust in Jesus, I would encourage you to take this time not to eat and drink the body and blood of Jesus as it's represented in these symbols, but to take the message you just heard and take Jesus. Why? Why not? Ask yourself that why don't I take Jesus now? Why don't I have faith in him? Let's use this time in that way for each of us, whether we're a believer in the Lord Jesus or a non-believer.